With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the It's About the Money podcast, your podcast about the New York Yankees. I am your host, returning triumphantly, E.J. Fagan, and tonight I am joined by Scott Moss. Hey, welcome back to Civilization from the Woods, E.J. Yeah, happy, happy, uh, what, big round number anniversary. I know, I feel like we should be having a cake on this podcast or something, except we're both in different states and it's a podcast and not have a cake and there are a lot of other reasons. There are lots of reasons why we can't have cake on this podcast, though. I will definitely be celebrating at some point. Uh, this is this is uh, fun. You know, we've been recording this for, God, wow, like three or four years now, for at least three and a half years now. Um, and, uh, you know, we've uh, we, we've lapsed uh, at times. I know some of you have complained to me about not putting out an episode for six weeks at times. But uh, over the last year or so, I think we've put out an episode every single week or a makeup episode if we missed one. And uh, and we're going strong. So here's to 100 more. Yeah, it's been fun. And, you know, we don't come out with them all the time sometimes. But I got to say, this number of years, and I've only been with you for the last year and a half, two, or something like that, that's a pretty long time. And for the past year and change, a lot of consistency for a podcast where we, you know, don't make money and don't have this as our day jobs. But I think the key to just doing it every week is that we like getting a chance to chat with each other and chat about the Yankees. So we'll keep doing it as long as people seem to be listening and it's a good excuse for us to get on the horn and chat. Yeah. So in honor of our hundredth anniversary, I just want to make a request to our viewers. We normally do this at the back of the show. I want to request it right now while everybody's listening, please, please, please help us spread the word about this podcast. We have a a decent number of listeners and a growing number of listeners, uh, but we always want to make that grow. If you could just, if you have a friend who you think might be interested in this, just just send them a quick text message. Hey, check out this podcast. We would appreciate it. We'd also appreciate it if you could tweet about us, could rate and review us on iTunes, etc. Uh, we don't ask for donations because I don't think that's something we should be doing as a podcast, at least at, at this point. But we do uh, we do ask for your little bit of help there. Now let's get to the baseball. So uh, something happened while I was away, Scott. <laughs> I know you went to the woods and then you come back and halfway it's a new team. Yeah, really. Uh, so, so the Yankees traded for two pitchers. I was not expecting the first one. They traded for Jaime Garcia right as I was leaving, um, and then they uh, they made the big Sunny Gray trade. At what like at the last like five minutes or so before the deadline? Yeah, about. So I don't have anything really interesting to say about the Sunny Gray trade, uh, other than I you know I the more I think about the three players they traded, those were Jorge Mateo, Mateo, James Caprielli, and Dustin Fowler. You know, the more I really think about it, one I think Caprielli probably had a pretty low value in any kind of trade talks. Like, yeah, he's really talented, and yeah, we were all kind of dreaming at him throwing ninety seven with like five pitches in the majors. But the guy just had Tommy John surgery and has pitched thirty seven innings in three years in the majors. I, you know, I think he's a very, very risky prospect that could that that is a is a lottery ticket for the A's, which is something that they like to do. Um, but you know, I'm not too worried about him. And the other guys, right? Dustin Fowler's coming off a major injury, and you know, people thought he was pretty good, but I don't think anyone thought he was an all star until about you know four months ago. 
And, you know, Jorge Mateo was terrible for a year and a half and then had a really awesome month and uh, we traded him. Um, and also on top of that, all of these, you know, the, those two guys, you know, in the outfield and at shortstop are just plain blocked. And so I, I don't think the Yankees really, you know, really set themselves back very much in that trade and they get a, a great pitcher. So, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, I think we were all fans on the blog. I tried to read a couple of comments from commenters who were at least kind of mixed or whatnot, but I've been amazed at how much near uniformity there is that this was a good trade and the take on who they gave up seems to range from, yay, they didn't give up top players, haha, to, well, they gave up good, not top players, but you got to give value to get value. I haven't, you know, there's always somebody, but I haven't heard a lot of naysaying from Yankee land about this. So let me ask you. So this has been this is we're a week late on the Sunday Gray Trader. You guys, you guys already covered that in a really great episode. But let's let's step back a little bit and just think about the trade deadline overall. The Yankees made three major trades. Two was were a little more major than the one, but still traded something like I think seventeen prospects away from the organization in return <laughs> for half a season of Todd Frazier, two seasons of paying David Robertson, Tommy Conley two and a half seasons of Sonny Gray and half a season of Jaime Garcia. Scott, do you think that overall the trade deadline was successful? I think it's as successful as you can get because if you want to be Debbie Downer about it, you could say, well, they have a bunch of average players plus Gray, who's good, and Conley, who's been terrific, but hasn't been terrific for that many innings and that long of his life. So it's a question mark. So you land a bunch of average guys, Sonny Gray and a guy who came out of nowhere, Conley. I tend to take a rosier view, which is that each one of those players was an improvement over the guy he replaced other than maybe Garcia. And I know you have some thoughts on that that you already wrote about. So I think a trade down that gets you five guys on the major league roster, you know, 20% of your team including two guys who have been performing at star level is astoundingly good. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the Yankees were, we, we talked about this before, we're kind of in that position where it just makes a ton of sense to buy, right? Where the Yankees were able to go from, you know, they were, they were in free fall and they've corrected that free fall and, you know, are now contending for a division and are probably favorites for the first wild card. That's not, you know, that that's not, the best place to be. I'd rather be where the Astros are right now, but still a pretty, pretty good place to be. And especially after you add all those players, you know, I think they have a pretty good chance to be better than the Red Sox. But I, I have another kind of thought kind of, and that, that, that thought everybody knows everybody's made that thought, right? Here's the thought I have. I've been writing this version of a blog post for like three weeks now, and I keep writing it and deleting it because I can't figure out how to say it. And I think I figured out how to say it. The Yankees addressed, I think by trading all those prospects, the Yankees addressed what I call the Ben Gamble problem. The problem of, of having a lot of guys who are in the high minors, who are you know, just, you know, potential major league baseball players, but the Yankees have no spots for, in part because they have a roster full of guys with contracts that they don't want to do anything with and are performing for the most part. And in part because they have a lot of prospects. They had, one, they had the deepest farm system in the majors with a lot of top-end talent. And so when you take a guy like Jorge Mateo, you just can't find a spot for him, right? Like Jorge Mateo might be is probably either a shortstop or a center fielder. He's probably not as good of a, of a center fielder as Dustin Fowler, but he's gone too. Um, but you know he's got to you know beat out Aaron Hicks and Jacoby Ellsbury and Brett Gardner and you know et cetera et cetera for for that kind of spot. And at shortstop, he's blocked by Didi Gregorius, and as backup shortstop, he's blocked by Glaber Torres. And so 
you know, it, it, to prevent, you know, to, to get away from him being the next Ben Gamble, where the Yankees end up, you know, not getting any kind of value for him and he ends up being pretty good for another team, then the, you have to trade guys. And you have you want to trade guys that you're not going to miss, or at least that you, you probably won't miss. So the Yankees still have Clint Frazier, who's going to be the next outfield guy, right? They still have Justice Sheffield and Chance Adams and instead of Caprielian, right? Because maybe Caprielian a year or two down the line, you know, is 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 pitching okay, but then he requires a 40-man spot, et cetera. And all those problems, you know, suggest that the the route to go for the Yankees is trade quantity of prospects while retaining quality. And that's what they did. And so now, you know, we look back and we're going to be ranking, you know, the top 10 Yankee prospects in about a month or so. That's going to be kind of kind of interesting, right? Because now a lot of the names that would have been there, at least in that like 6 to 12 range, those are, those guys are all gone. And the Yankee farm system is not nearly as deep as it as it used to be, but I don't think it has to be. I think I think the Yankees are 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 you know halfway toward built in terms of their like long term major league roster, and you just don't need like seven extra outfielders. Yeah, I think that's right. They traded from where they had a glut, and they kept guys at the positions where they didn't have a glut. So where they don't have a glut is first base, third base, starting pitcher. Just because nobody has enough starting pitchers, right? It's not like everybody has five top starters, not even the Dodgers, really. Well, maybe. But the Yankees didn't trade any first base or third base guys. And Caprillion is, I think, so far from the majors and so far from a lock. You hear about how he's advanced. He has the four pitches and command and good pitches and all. But given the lack of health and just the lack of development time, I don't think he was helping him for the next two years anyway, if ever. So... I think they kept where they need guys, the, the relevant positions. So, agree. All right, so let's let's uh, move on a little bit. So, I think the big news of the day is that the Yankees have sent down to the minor leagues Jordan Montgomery, and they announced that Jaime Garcia will take his spot in the rotation. Scott, what was your reaction to this move? I thought it was the obvious call. I was not sure and ambivalent about whether Montgomery should go to the pen or to triple a, but the man have thrown 130 odd innings each of the past two years. So there's no way this was a guy who's giving you 32 starts in the regular season. Plus the postseason. even setting aside the fact that he's probably not a postseason starter anyway, unless someone gets hurt. So he was nearing an innings limit. And let's say you're Jordan Montgomery's number one fan and you want him to pitch in the postseason. Well, the way you get him to maybe be even a possibility for the postseason is stop having him start in the major leagues now. Because in AAA, you can have a guy throw a four-inning start. Or have him in the bullpen on some schedule that keeps him loose, keeps him in shape, keeps him practice with all those pitches. But it's something like, you're going to pitch three innings every fourth day or something strange like that. You can do things like that. So I buy the sending him down, whether you think we got enough out of him and let's go with Garcia, or even if you're a fan, this is how you preserve the guy. Yeah, you know, if, I think if you list down the Yankees' options, right? So one option is convert one of Garcia or Montgomery to the bullpen. And, you know, given the, the current state of the Yankee bullpen, you know, they're at best your number seven reliever, right? They're your long relief guy, low leverage innings. You know, who that guy is isn't that important. You could have whoever, whatever, Brian Mitchell there. And it's basically the same player. I mean, the the Yankees had Jordan Montgomery on Sunday pitch come out in the fifth inning, and he was relieved by four innings of David Robertson, Dylan Patances, and Aroldis Chapman, 
right? And so that, you know, if if starters are leaving in the fifth inning and you don't need to like go deep and you know, dig into the well of your relief pitching, I don't think you gain much by moving that, that those guys to the to the bullpen. I think the interesting option, well, one option is is you know is essentially Jaime Garcia. You essentially ignore the fact that you traded for him uh, if you think that Jordan Montgomery is that much better. And that doesn't really make a lot of sense. You can't option him to the minors. He's still a major league asset, and you really can't trade him at this point. Um, so, you know, Montgomery has that flexibility that you can send him down to the minors. He can still pitch. If you were to convert him to a lefty one-out guy or, you know, some, you know, or some kind of bullpen you know, reliever, he wouldn't get those innings in. And so next year, he wouldn't have, you know, whatever, 160 innings to build on to do what Luis Severino is doing this year and get up to that 200-inning mark. Um, so I think you have to keep him starting somewhere. And so at that point, though, the only real question left is, I guess there's, there's one interesting question we can get to, but the most important question left is, you know, is Montgomery better than Jaime Garcia? And I, when, they, when they first announced the move, I had just gotten back from the woods and I just tweeted out like, boo, right? Because I, 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 I was under the impression that Jordan Montgomery is just a clearly better pitcher than Jaime Garcia. Jaime Garcia is a slightly below average consistent uh, starting pitcher. Jordan Montgomery has, has been by ERA at least slightly above average. But when you kind of dig into their peripherals, which I did in the post, you see that they're pretty close. They're pretty much the same pitcher. And, you know, and Montgomery hasn't had the best, you know, month of July. Uh, so maybe he's not, you know, maybe he's, he, he is the worst pitcher at this moment. And the, 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 the you know, there's, there's not a lot of difference between the two players. Um, uh, but that's kind of the boring take. I'm curious, what do you what do you think about the six man rotation option? I like it for a couple of reasons. First is that you have guys like Sabathia and Tanaka that you want to be fresh, and I think amidst all Tanaka's struggles, we've stopped talking about the thing we used to always talk about with Tanaka, which is that he has about half an elbow ligament, or there's a partial tear, or whatever it is. So there's some chance he just goes snappy at any point. When you don't want that, so a little more rest is good. A little more rest is good for Sabathia. There are teams that have done that just to keep guys fresh. And I kind of like that as an option. So, But then again, it comes at a cost because then you're short a man the bullpen or you're short a man on the bench if you have to have six of your active roster players being starters. So I think it would have been nice. And they did it one time through, right? Yeah, you know, I I think they did it as they were, just because the timing didn't work out. Like right, the right. right players weren't weren't fresh at the right time. You know, I, I think you know there's lots of cost to, to going to the to the, the the six man. Even though I'm kind of in favor of an experiment right there, but I think the biggest cost is fewer starts from Luis Severino and Sonny Gray, guys who you want to start as much as possible going down the stretch because you know every game could count against the Red Sox, and you're replacing that start with a Jaime Garcia or Jordan Montgomery start, and that's you know that's less good. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't blame the Yankees for not taking that option though. I found it, find it an interesting, an interesting choice. Um, you know, the, the Yankees, I, I, I think they traded for Jaime Garcia, not knowing whether or not they were going to get Sonny Gray. And then when they got Sonny Gray, they were like, oh, well, we have an extra, we have a good problem to have now. Um, and so maybe this isn't like the best case scenario. And maybe if, you know, you had time machine, you, you might want to take back that trade, but you don't. And so you send the guy down that you can send down. And if somebody gets injured or somebody is bad or it's just September, you call him back up and you're good to go. Yeah. All right, moving on. So we got we have some other roster moves to debate, something kind of interesting. So Aaron Hicks is almost finished with his rehab start. So he should be ready uh, at the end of this week. 
uh, in Toronto to, to come back. Scott, so the Yankees currently have Frazier, Ellsbury, Gardner, and Judge on the roster. Uh, who should the Yankees send down or cut or DFA or trade or whatever when Aaron Hicks uh, returns? Well, a couple episodes ago, you and I said they should DFA Ellsbury, and they didn't do that. I really don't think they're going to do that. So I'll move on from that first preference that's not going to happen right away. Um, except to say that the reason I feel strongly about doing that really is that I'm not on board the demote Clint Frazier train. I know he's had a rough go of it recently, but I think it's been less of a downturn um, than you normally would want to justify sending down a top prospect, a guy who at his best has been doing really well, and a guy who could be really useful in the postseason. So I, I kind of disagree. So the Yankees, he's got a, a high strikeout rate in the majors and only a 4% walk rate, 27% strikeout, 4% walk. He has been a zero-win player so far through 27 games. Now, I agree with you. There's a lot to like there. He's hitting for a lot of power. He's playing at what, what appears to be pretty good defense, although the defensive metrics don't like it so far, and it's been a very small sample. And although Jacoby Osbury has not been good this season, he has been an above-replacement-level player. Uh, which I think is worth something. Right? He's on about a 1.5 win pace at the moment if he were to play 150 games, even though he won't. And, you know, I think Clint Frazier can probably benefit from some work in the minors. He, he already made progress this season in the minors, and particularly on, on his strikeout and walk rates. He hit for quite, you know, a little bit more raw power than he had before. But he's got some weird stuff in his swing. And I, I don't think... I don't think he is hurt by being sent down to the minors. And if Jacoby Ellsbury right now at this very moment is a better baseball player than Clint Frazier, then I think it makes sense to keep him around. That said, I wouldn't mind both, right? Aaron Hicks is a great center fielder. Brett Gardner can back up center field and play left. And then you have, uh, then you have Aaron Judge, obviously, in right. At that point, when you have those players, you, you don't really need Ellsbury on this roster. Um, and I do think that he becomes the fourth outfielder at, at, at that point and kind of like designated pinch runner, which feels like a little bit of a waste. I know the D8 situation is also kind of fluid in there. So, you know, I'm, I think it's more about Frazier than it is about Ellsbury at this point, who just hasn't been that good. Yeah, and he's definitely had a slump. But I think the slump isn't really as bad as it looks in that I looked at the game logs for Frazier. You can't really look at the month by month when a guy's only been here July and then four days of August. But if you look at the game logs, it's about, I remember, which is that he wasn't really showing any signs of problem through close to the end of July. And you can debate when it is he started dropping, but the there's this three-game stretch, July 26 to 28, when he went four for 14 with a home run and he had to hit each of those days. Um, July 28th, bear with me here. July 28th, he went one for four with a home run. It's really after that, if you want to pinpoint when the slump starts. So July 29th onward, he's four for 29. That's bad. Uh, No home runs. That's bad. So that's about when he plummeted. And, you know, right before that point, he had a 282 average. He was bouncing around there for a while. Now he's a 243. So, okay, he stopped in contact and he stopped hitting home runs, but... It's only, first of all, there's only seven games. Secondly, weirdest thing, over those seven games, he has three of his five walks on the season, and he has three walks to seven strikeouts. So seven strikeouts in seven games is a lot, but not a lot for Clint Frazier and is not accelerating. 
So it's a small sample size, but then again, the argument for demoting him is a small sample size of 29 and bad at bats. So I think he's um, making bad contact maybe in this stretch, but he actually has drawn a couple walks. He's not he's not striking out three times a game consistently or something crazy like that. So so I feel like I might be open to demoting him, but maybe not just yet uh, because I don't think it's been that long, that bad for that long. So I, I'm going to have a throw a couple more arguments out there. The Yankees didn't want to call up Clint Frazier at the time that they called him up, right? Like th- there was an outfield crisis, and Clint Frazier was the next guy up uh, yeah. after this was right after Dustin Fowler got injured, right? That whole that whole week, and he, he hit really well when he first came up, and that was that kept him in the majors, even though they kept saying like, "No, we're going to send him down. No, we're going to send him down. No, we're going to send him down." And then two months of an oblique strain later, Aaron Hicks is ready to come back. Um, my I know that he's I, he's had those fits and starts, but that's what you should expect from a talented rookie, right? He's going to put the, put games together and look good at times. And he's going to, look, going to look really bad at times if he's not prepared for the majors. And I think that describes him. And so I think you just take the aggregate. And the aggregate is, you know, is, is there's no there's no real sign that he's been unlucky, right? He's got an expected WOBA of under 300. That's not very good. Um, he's got the high strikeout rate, right? His BABIP isn't that crazy. His BABIP right now is uh, 301, so almost perfectly league average. You know, so at that point, I think you have to start asking asking yourself, like, you know, how good is Clint Frazier really at this moment? And I don't think he's that good at this moment. I think his development would probably be served best by being in the major leagues and playing every day. I, 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 I don't disagree with that at all. And especially with Matt Holiday out, he might be a pretty decent option at DH. But, you know, I think that, you know, there's a pretty good chance that he's the fourth or fifth best outfielder on this team. And at that point, you send him down and let him play every day. It could be, but part of my thought process, too, is that you're right. There's some uncertainty because he has holes in his game, to be sure. But I'm thinking that this is a playoff team. Um, whether they play Frazier or some more at-bats for Ellsbury, you know, neither one is going to be an MVP-level player. It's probably nickel and dime difference in quality. One will have a 70 OPS plus one will have a 90. Um, one will have an 80, the other will have an 81. But if there's a chance that one of them breaks out and is actually good as a baseball player beyond just guy on the bench, it's Frazier. Ellsbury is not going to suddenly return to form, right? I think we can get rid of that uh, dream. So the question to me is that if you basically have a healthy Hicks and Judge and Gardner, they're your outfield, DH, you rotate guys around and you give Gardner some breaks with Frazier. Um, I'd like to give Frazier a couple more weeks. Like you noted, the bigs are a little better for development. Let's see if we have someone who's an impact player for the playoffs in Frazier or not. And if he stinks after another week and a half, you know, instead of if instead of seven bad games, which is what he has said so far, it looks like two weeks of bad games. Then I'd like to say let's call up Jake Cave or Billy McKinney because I really want to know before you're sort of locked into your playoff roster at the end of August, which of these trip guys who's been mashing at AAA is actually a useful playoff part more than Ellsbury is, frankly, and maybe more than Holiday is. So I'd like them to spend the next couple of weeks. They have about, well, you know, three and a half weeks left. Give Frazier a little more rope. Um, if it were me, I'd uh, call up Hicks with East Ellsbury and rotate in even guys like either Cave or McKinney. They have a better sense than I do of which one is maybe more for real at AAA. 
But I'd like to see, and maybe it's a reality show between Cave McKinney and Frazier to see who actually is worth a playoff roster spot. Yeah, uh, I mean, I really disagree with disagree with any, any of that. But I think you, if you start with the premise that they're not going to DFA Ellsbury, which you know we yeah. can disagree with, but you know, I think is a is a a defensible premise in under some you know with some arguments. Then at that point, now we're talking about you know Ellsbury hitting the phantom DL if that's an issue, or you know creating a roster spot some other way. You know, carrying five outfielders, which doesn't seem like something they would do. And so, you know, I, I think that Frazier is the is the optionable guy. You know, he's already eligible for that postseason roster. And I think September is the time to do what you're talking about. Um, not for the postseason roster, but like gaining information about players. I think I think I think we do that in September. It could be. I was just hoping to see who's a good outfielder pinch hitter if one of them could be useful for the playoffs. The other option I think, you mentioned five outfielders. If you get rid of Garrett Cooper, and honestly, I still lose track. I think he's on the roster right now, correct? It looks like he is. Yeah, according to baseball reference. So if you get, if you demote him, then you have Headley at first, you have Frazier at third. And I think you do have backups because if you need to – if someone gets hurt mid-game or something at first, you can move Frazier over to first and Therese or Wade at third base. If you're in a pinch, have Romine play first base. And you certainly have guys, both Wade and Torbeus, who can play third base. In other words, I think that Wade's versatility and Todd Frazier's versatility mean that you don't need quite as many backup infielders because your backup first baseman and middle slash third base infielders can be the same guys. So I, I think, again, I think they're not going to exploit that. But I wish they would consider something like that because then you can keep having Frazier in a tryout. Or if he keeps flopping, then bring up Jake Cave to be in a tryout, et cetera. Yeah, I agree with you there. That I, I don't think I don't see why Garrett Cooper is on this roster. I mean, I think you. I'm normally not a fan of pumping up the bullpen, but you know, you could easily carry an extra reliever instead of Garrett Cooper because you're right. He's got guys ahead of him on the, on the on the depth chart and will eventually be replaced by Greg Bird, whose ankle is feeling a lot better. Um, and I, Austin's I back and playing baseball all suddenly. What's that? Austin is back and rehabbing, so they're days away yeah, from having another first um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, there, there are options right there, and so you know, if Garrett Cooper just like ceases to exist, I don't think you know, I don't <laughs> think we're really going to going to miss him right now um, on the roster. I don't know who the player I'd call up is. I mean, there is the five outfielder option, um, but you know, the, really, you're thinking about that DH spot right now, and I think that DH spot is should be occupied pro- probably by Aaron Judge quite a lot uh, while Matt Holiday is out. You know, he's been beat up a little bit. since his first full season in the majors. He's been slumping a little bit, even though he hit the big home run two nights ago. I, I, I think, I, I, I think that's kind of your primary DH. And then that allows you to have, if, you know, if Frazier is down, you get, you have, you know, three center fielders essentially in, a, in the outfield, which could be kind of interesting. Um, so I, I think that's, that's kind of my tweaks right there. I don't really have any, any real strong opinions. I can't think of the, um, it's a phone ringing. I apologize. That uh, I can't really think of uh, of the reliever I'd really want to uh, to send down to. Oh, maybe it's the six man rotation week uh, while Matt Holiday's out. All right. Regardless of that, uh, let's see. We I think that's about all we have in the docket. Scott, anything else you want to talk about? No, I didn't say in the outfield. Not to pound the drum further for this one, but the idea of trying out. Frazier, Cave, Frazier and either Cave or McKinney as much as possible with the holiday spot, with the Garrett Cooper spot, is that 
it's amazing how on the one hand I like their outfield, Gardner, Judge, Hicks, and Frazier waiting in the winnings. But on the other hand, Hicks was not consistently great. It's easy to forget because he's having such a great year and it's a real bummer for him than his breakout year. But if you look at the splits, he basically got worse each month um, over the his course. His you know, by is like 340, which is pretty good. But not, you know, it, it's not what he was playing at, like his 400 pace the, this season. It's still a big step up for Aaron Hicks, though. Right. But, he's, you know, he's, here's his OPS in each month. April slash March, 1042. May, 929. June, 821. Now, I'll take an Aaron Hicks who has an 821 OPS. But suddenly you're looking at a guy who wasn't good before this year for a number of years, who had a great April an almost as great May and a good, not great June. So suddenly Aaron Hicks might be a guy who just had two good months there. So I think there's some uncertainty as to him too. So there's some nerves I feel about the outfield right now. Yeah, I'm with you there. And you know, I think especially with Aaron Hicks, you start having platoon options available once you, especially once you get into September and September's not that far away. We're only a few weeks away from that. So if he comes back and he struggles for the next couple of weeks, then you, you start exercising those options. I got one more quick question to ask you. So the Mariners this week uh, claimed Yonder Alonso off waivers for free, essentially. Um, I think they, they might've worked out a trade with the, with the A's, but they, they got him essentially for a very, very low cost. You know, they got him for Boog Powell who I've never heard of before. Cause he's got a cool name. Um, and so if the, should the Yankees have gone out and essentially acquired Yonder Alonso for free at the trade deadline? You know, it's not missed that should, one. Should he have been in the Sunday great trade? I thought I would have liked him more than not having him as mainly a platoon bat. Uh, the one thing is I thought Boog Powell, who apart from having an awesome name, um, actually is something of a prospect. Oh, I, he is? Okay. I think he kind of is because, yeah, at, um, at triple A um, – He's having you know, a good season. Having, yeah, he's in a he's couple half years, but his overall line at eh, no, he's doing well at AAA after two mediocre half years there. No, but they did well. He's he's something of a hitter, right? His, his AA line was three twenty eight, but without a lot of power. He had two mediocre half seasons at AAA, but this year is hitting three forty at AAA. Although in Tacoma, so he's something. He's something more than nothing, but he's not like one of the Yankees' top fifteen prospects. Let's just say. So, yeah, I might have preferred to give something up for him, but I, I, you wonder, you get the sense they had a ton of phone calls. Uh, I don't know why they wouldn't have given the Yankees, unless, I guess the theory is that if Bird and Austin are coming back, I don't know that they need him. Maybe that was And Alonso's point. been terrible for so long, so why take on the salary? I, I, yeah, I can see that. And, you know, I guess in retrospect, then what that tells you is that Cashman just really doesn't believe in Yonder Alonso anymore in that he'd rather have, like, either Austin or Bird, who are probably both about to come back, or one of the other could come back. Hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I'm kind of with you there where, you know, if I were, if I didn't have scouting information, I'd probably be like, yeah, well, Yonder Alonso's had a great season. Let's bring him in. Um, but given, you know, the, the slump he's in, I suspect the teams went and saw him play and said, like, well, that's the old Yonder Alonso. We're done with that. Um, and I'm and I'm okay with you know, trusting the Yankees kind of on on that uh, determination. Uh, but on that note, uh, next week we're going to be doing our our regularly scheduled minor league roundup. We'd normally have done it this episode, but we decided to do some major league stuff since we've been gone for a little bit. And there's like four interesting players left playing in the minors this season. Um, <laughs> but, but it's an interesting time because this is going to be this near the end of the season. We've seen a full year, and this is the point at which anybody they're thinking of calling up to be in the postseason roster they got to do in the next two weeks. 
Yeah, and, and and those are in fact probably before before the the August is over, we'll probably have that discussion about which players are worth you know exploring for that reason. Uh, but we'll leave that for later, and we'll leave the minor league roundup for later. Scott, thank I got, you very I got much it, for I got it. One more thing. One more thing. Of that course. you said you hadn't, you hadn't heard of Boog Powell, but he has a cool name. Um, he sort of lost to the annals of history, but I vaguely remember the name from some Stratomatic type game that my friend had growing up. Boog Powell was a heck of a player. His dad in the sixties and seventies, he had a really? career. He had a career 42 war, 339 home runs, playing in mostly a really, really low offense era. He never quite led the league in home runs, but he regularly hit 30 plus. Um, and he was an absolutely horrific first baseman, but he could mash. So that's his dad. So good lineage there, if nothing else. Yeah, there you go. I mean, so his real name is Herschel Mac Powell, and his nickname on Baseball Perspectives, his nickname is listed as Little Mac, which makes sense. I I don't know how he got the nickname Boog, other than I guess his father got his that nickname. Father, his father's so- name John Wesley Powell, which is you know sounds like he should be the Secretary of Treasury or something after spending his career at Morgan Stanley, but instead they called him Boog. So I'm sure there's a story that's probably well known about why Oriole Great Boog Powell was known as Boog. Um, but it just got passed down to the kid clearly. Yeah. And why his son goes by Boog Powell Jr., which is even weirder. (laughs) Uh, Scott, thank you for joining me. This everybody has been your, it's about the money podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.